You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Skylight Books Crowdcast channel. My name is Natalie. I'm the Assistant Events Manager at Skylight Books. If you are unfamiliar with us, Skylight is a general interest independent bookstore serving the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. And we are so, so excited that you could join us tonight to celebrate Blame for the Win by Robbie Couch. And he will be in conversation with Margot Wood. Robbie Couch is a Los Angeles-based writer who spends his time eating noodles, scrolling on his phone, and explaining to confused strangers that his last name is pronounced like a sofa. He is the author of The Sky Blues and Blame for the Win, you can follow him on Twitter, if you dare, at Robbie underscore couch. Margot Wood is the founder of Epic Reads and has worked in marketing for more than a decade at publishing houses, both big and small. She's a graduate of Emerson College and once appeared as an extra in the Love, Simon movie. Born and raised in Cincinnati, Wood now lives in Portland, Oregon. Thank you both so much for being here. Yay. Thank you so much for having us, yes. Robbie. Thank you. Ah, virtual hug virtual, virtual hug. hug and also shout out to oliver in the background oh yeah there's my dog olive, olive not oliver <laughs> eh, olive. whatever same, um same congratulations like Thank your you. book is out this week and it's your <laughs> second book in like a year because you're you know the sky blues just came out when, when was that one out that was out in like may of last yeah, year very close it's april 6th Took me oh. So almost exactly, yeah, it was like a week, Blaine came out a week after Sky did, uh, well, a year and a week later. So yeah, I just celebrated the one year anniversary of Sky. I got a neat little Sky tattoo, which is Oh my gosh, hold that screen, up, hold that up, show us. I know, it's, I don't know if my, You're if like, my arm can stretch, yes, but there it it's is. the cover, yeah, it's like based off of the cover of Sky, and I love it. I think it turned out really great. But, Are you going to get a tattoo for Blaine? Okay, so... The plan was no, but then I love this so much. And I feel like it's it would be so easy to kind of make a little like, well, I guess like a sleeve out of all of my characters mm. as I go along. It oh, seems I like, like that. a big commitment, but yeah, I kind of <laughs> like that. So we'll see. Check in in a year and we'll see. But before you even get into any questions, I did want to give a shout out for your birthday. Uh. And I have a slice <laughs> of birthday cake. Because Margot had a birthday yesterday, Aww. and she very graciously just still helped me out with this event, even though it was her birthday week. So thank Aww. you so much. Thank you. I also realize how weirdly, accidentally selfish this is that I bought cake for myself for your birthday. <laughs> so it's for I'm your sorry. Book's birthday. There we go. Book, there we Blaine go. and I share a birthday now, so yeah. <laughs> it's for both of us. Thank there, you. There's a good way to look at it. I'll send you like a real cake tomorrow or something, but. <laughs> Yeah. I have so much cake in my fridge, so please. <laughs> You're like, no. <laughs> um, I am so, so excited for you. I just, <sighs> Sky Blues is so good, and Blame for the Win is so, it's even better. Like, I, I hate saying things that are like, it's better, <laughs> because then it's sort of like, but then Sky Blues wasn't that great. And I'm like, no, Sky Blues was good, but this one is like, you are coming a very seasoned writer. You are aging like a fine wine. (laughs) Your books are getting so much better and like they already are so great. And I just, I'm really excited to watch your career 
grow and thrive. And it's honestly mm -hmm. like, it sucks that you debuted during a pandemic year. Like I did, you know, fresh back there. That was my book um, mm -hmm. came out in August and it was right. hard, <laughs> hard to debut during a pandemic. And now you've had two. So, you know, props to you for keeping staying with this game and you know keeping up with it and doing all these events and i hope everybody here who is watching has you know ordered a copy or pre-ordered a copy or if you haven't please 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 order one from sky skylight books you know they've got signed copies but it's so important that you support um you know debut authors during the pandemic because they don't get to do as many marketing events that you know, other authors get to do when there's not a pandemic happening. They don't get to go to events or in-person things and they kind of miss out on tours and all that stuff. So everybody watching, thank you so much for being here. Like you guys are so awesome and yeah. it's really great to have you all. <laughs> yes, I really, really appreciate that. And I know you already kind of gave a nod to Fresh, but Fresh is an amazing book. And I, this is the, this is the advanced copy. So it doesn't look quite as cool as the hardcover. <laughs> But I honestly think you had, I mean, beyond being a great book, I think you had a top, like you were like a top three cover of mine for last year's book. I love- Thank you. Love, you should love, see love the original cover. one they designed. It was not good. <laughs> it was really bad. You're like, it's even better when you knew what the first one was. Oh my God, the first one was so, I cried. I cried when I saw it. I was like, I don't want to oh publish God. this anymore. I give up. I immediately oh give up. Oh my gosh. You're like, I don't want to be an author. Oh man. Um, no, but it's great. So why don't you give us all 33 of us watching, myself included, 34 if we count my dog, um, <laughs> tell us what Blaine for the Win is about. Yeah. So Blaine for the Win is loosely based off of Legally Blonde. Uh, yes, the rom-com from 2001. And uh, Blaine Bowers, you meet him right in chapter one. He's super excited to be going on his big one-year anniversary date with Joey Oliver, who's the boyfriend he's head over heels for, really obsessed with. And if you've seen Legally Blonde, you probably know where that's headed. Joey dumps him for not being a quote unquote serious guy um, because Joey has political ambitions and he wants to go really far in life. And he feels like he can't do that because, well, he can't do that with a boyfriend like Blaine at his side, which is very sad. Um, so Blaine decides to run for, uh, run and be Joey's successor as senior class president to try to prove some serious guy chops but it's so outside of his wheelhouse because blaine is like this very artsy you know expressive a little bit eccentric kid and trying to you know button up his shirt he's not a like... wheeler and dealer <laughs> right. exactly so it's very out of uh, very out of his wheelhouse and um he kind of has to figure out what he's willing to sacrifice in order to kind of be this version that Joey likes. So uh, so yeah, it's very much in the vein of Legally Blonde, but there's certainly very big differences. So I don't want anyone to think that just because they've seen the film, they know where Blaine for the win, how it goes. It's a very different story in many ways. So yeah, Craig, it was like the best, right? Uh, Craig Hale said, hashtag Legally Blaine, and then followed yeah. up, <laughs> uh, Rokio, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, um, hashtag like it's hard to run for class president. I love, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love it. And yes, yes, Legally Blaine was the um, original 
title. It was like the working title for a while for oh. Legally Blonde. Yeah. And then when I did the, I did like a, a rewatch of Legally Blonde two nights ago with the hashtag Legally Blonde for people to join in and comment. Um, because yeah, I thought it was, I thought it kind of worked with the title, but we decided we wanted to make it different enough from Legally Blonde that we should go in a different direction. But I still That's think a good title. I'm really bad at coming up with titles. Fresh was just my placeholder because I was like, mm, freshman. And then I was like, see, insert title here. And then it just sort of stuck. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, it's tricky. It's like, I know authors that like start with the, like they come with the title first and then they like kind yes. of build the story around that. And then yes. others who struggle forever. With those title. authors who are you wait do you come up with your titles first no 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 okay. I, that's, that would be rough there are me. so many people i know who are just like i came up with this book idea solely because of the title and i'm like how yeah, <laughs> that yeah. Makes no sense to me. <laughs> well i think i don't want to i don't want to spread misinformation but i think that um i think adam said with they both die at the end that's yes that like yes I, that it was true? i remember yes when adam um adam silvera who we're talking about if you don't know um he like we used to hang out in new york back when before he was you know even published he was still just like a baby book influencer and um <laughs> he was like we were taking this walk and he was like i have this idea for this book and i was like okay tell me more about it and he's like well i don't know anything about it other than the titles they both die at the end i was like oh my god write it i don't care what it's about <laughs> so write it. yeah wait so you were there right at the the origin story of they both yes. die at the end wow. i met adam back when he was still working like at barnes and noble or um at books of wonder and um right, he was just right. a epic reads fan <laughs> so, yeah oh my gosh that's funny Very cool. um okay well i I'm just now looking at my my list of questions for you. And I start I don't remember what I started this document, but I was supposed to have like this whole intro thing, but it really just says congrats and it immediately goes into the first question, which was like what was it like publishing two books during a pandemic? Oh, yeah, it um it was a it was a definitely an experience. Um I will say it's weird now like it's it kind of became my norm to do everything like virtual and not. That's all you know. Yeah, it's all I know. So I never really like met readers. It, like I've met some readers in person randomly, but not really in like an official event sort of. And I'm actually going to Yaw West in a couple of weeks out here in Santa Monica. And I'm so excited. So it'll be my oh. first in-person event. So if anyone if anybody wants to come watching to West, is from LA, definitely go yeah. to Yaw West. It's free. It's a free event. It's so much fun. Yeah, come see me. But um. But yeah, because it's my normal, it's sort of weird to n to not know what the the real actual normal is. Um, so I'm excited for book three when I'm actually going to be able to to meet people in real life. But um, yeah, it's it's very strange. I think I mean you know more than anyone as well. It's just very strange to to publish in a pandemic. Like no one knows what's going on. Like there's supply chain issues. There's like just there's so many layers of of chaos. But despite all of that, I still feel like it was such a cool, life-changing experience. So I can't complain. It's, it's, yes. been, it's been great. You're allow, always allowed to complain to me. <laughs> okay. And just for, this is just like a super nerdy book niche thing I want to announce to everybody here. But like, I know everybody keeps talking about like supply chain issues, but for real, what this, what you can do to sort of help, you know, your favorite authors and publishers um, is to pre-order books as far out in advance as you are able to, because that helps with 
the supply chain issues, like the more information we have ahead of time makes things easier on the publishers. So as a bo good book consumer, you can do, you can <laughs> yeah. help by pre-ordering <laughs> books, yes. including Robbie's third book whenever it yes. comes up. Yes, not up, not up for pre-ordering yet, but you will definitely know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got some questions about the book here. Yes. All right. So when Joey breaks up with Blaine, he tells Blaine that he needs to date somebody serious, you know, to mm -hmm. be his partner in success. Blaine is because Blaine is too scatterbrained, too flighty. Um, he dresses too flamboyantly. Have you ever, have you personally ever gotten this kind of feedback <laughs> when you <laughs> have been dumped before? <laughs> is, that what's, is that what inspired is this? Very personal to me. No, it's not. That's a excellent question actually but um no i wouldn't say i've had that personal uh it doesn't hit too close to home in that way but i feel like there's a little there's a little sense of you know internalized homophobia happening there to a certain degree obviously that isn't like the full scope of why they broke up but i do think that's like a reality that a lot of young people who are queer have to face and not just gay cis boys but across the LGBTQ spectrum, there's all these gender norms of what we're supposed to dress like and be like and act and move through the world. And um, yeah, I think this was a, this was clearly a case where like a lot of who Blaine is and how he expresses himself um, was kind of deemed unserious in some people's eyes. Um, so no, it didn't happen to me, but um, I'm very, well, I don't want to, I, this is the problem. I always almost give spoilers away on these events. I don't want to, but I'm just very proud of the way that Blaine navigated that and the way that it worked out for him. <laughs> yeah. Cause like one of the defining moments of your teenage experience um, and your coming of age years is sort of like figuring out who you are. That's what cutting of age means. And sure. often that can mean, I don't know. I'm sure everybody watching, because we're all kind of artsy book people, that we've been told at some point in our lives that we are either too much or not enough, or mm -hmm. we need to be change who we are in order to be more successful or something along those lines, or to get your crush to like you. Um, and I am so glad that you explored that theme because that's like when I look back on my high school years, like so much of my high school years were spent trying to fit into the mold that I thought other people wanted me to fit into. And I spent so long doing that, that I never really figured out who I was until like much later. So I feel like I was such a late bloomer compared to other, you know, some of my friends and stuff who kind of always knew themselves because they weren't just <laughs> yeah trying to impress other people all <laughs> the time. Um, so why was this something that you specifically wanted to explore and like what messages do you want readers especially teen readers to come away with totally i love this question i i feel like to your point when you're a teenager being so much of being a teenager is exactly what you described it's like trying it's just like being in this like half kids half adult segue moment of your life where there's so many pressures so many social pressures and challenges to figure out who you are and there's a lot of experimentation in terms of just like figuring out what what I like, what I don't like, and who I am, and how I identify, and how I move through the world. So, I think in and of itself, that you know, that's already a, a stage of someone's life that's already really fun to come up with stories about. But then, if you layer in being queer, I think all of those layers are even 
um, it, it can be even trickier because not only are you figuring out who you are just as a teenager, but then you have this other layer to your identity that can be just as confusing and, and complicate things and you're dealing yes. with rejection and um, a lot of different things. So are you um, queer enough? You're too queer. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of goes back to what we we're just talking about in, in terms of the way that Blaine carried himself and not in not being seen as serious in Joey's eyes. So I feel like that is a theme that I thought I wanted to kind of explore and play with in terms of, of Blaine's experience. Um, but but yeah, and uh, it, yeah, it was really, really fun to, to go there and, and to explore that. Did you run for like student class president or student council? Yes. Oh, yeah. You did. I did. Yes, I was very Wait, involved. Were you, were you like a straight A, like <laughs> on a, the a, like a Pete Buttigieg gay? Yeah. Um, no, I wasn't. I well, I mean, I was. I, I was a good student for sure. I was uh, honors. I think high on. High. On, I don't know, but I was. Yeah, I was. I got good grades. I was involved. Uh, definitely wasn't. Definitely wasn't like you know. <laughs> I wasn't super extra in that sense, but which there's nothing wrong with that. Everyone should get straight A's. But um, yeah, I but I wasn't on student council. I was. I always forget. I should actually like ask my friends, and so I'm not like spreading this information. But I feel like I was vice president or secretary most years, going back to like seventh, seventh through twelfth grade. So I was I was never president. I don't think, but I was really involved. And so, so that's you were part involved. of the reason. Yeah. Yeah, Did you that's have part to of the reason why I wanted to. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that was just part of the reason why I had fun with Blaine because it was like I could kind of draw on a lot of the experiences that I had. So yeah. Did you ever run a campaign to get elected? Did you have to get elected for your position? Yeah, I did. Okay. And I mentioned this. I mentioned this in the in last night's event. So sorry to repeat myself to anyone who's here again, but I had posters that were don't vote for a lazy boy, vote couch. <laughs> right. That's good. And that's good. That's, that, right. that's that, good. Right. I think that's why I won. So, yeah, <laughs> I think if I you, if this writing career doesn't work out for you, you will have a solid career in <laughs> politics. Um, running people's campaign. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I fully agree with that, but, but maybe. Maybe. Yeah. That's um. Also, side note. I just I love that you always introduce yourself at these things where you're like it's pronounced like the sofa and oh. i didn't really i was like who would mispronounce that and then i remembered that there's a street in portland spelled like your last name but pronounced cooch <laughs> so. oh i didn't know that okay yeah yeah cooch sort of like street. a like a houston houston thing in new york a little bit yeah yeah, yeah. no it's crazy a lot of people mispronounce like well it's i was not people i know but like at um like when i'm giving my name to a barista not that they would ask for my last name but like customer service people that like already have my name like written down somewhere they'll like pause and yeah i've gotten cooch coach remember when i graduated eighth grade like the eighth grade commencement ceremony the principal said robert coach which was weird because she like knew me very well and i was that's thinking, like such like, an that's old man strange. name <laughs> i know it was it was bizarre but yeah a lot of people see couch and they just don't they don't read it that way. It is couch well, stuff, just like a soda. Back to some campaigns, <laughs> Mr. Robert Coach. Um, <laughs> so Blaine makes the cornerstone of his campaign about not lazy boys, <laughs> um, but <laughs> mental health. Why did you want Blaine to focus on mental health? 
Yeah, I really, I felt like that was one of the things that came out of being, um, of writing a book in the pandemic. I know for myself personally, there was definitely mental health challenges being like inside all day, not being able to talk to people. I had just moved to LA two years ago now. So it would have been like a year-ish um, ago now. Um, so I didn't have, you know, I had some friends here, but not a ton of friends here yet. Um, and it was, it was, a t I know it was a terrible time for so many people in the middle of the pandemic, but um, I, I was definitely feeling it. And I know a lot of young people, especially who had their classes canceled and dances canceled and couldn't do a lot of extracurricular stuff and sports like that was so brutal. So um, I think mental health was just the topic of mental health was definitely like on my mind. It's something that I thought was especially relevant um, right now. And so, I mean, it's always relevant, but especially in the middle of a pandemic. So I wanted to, yeah, I kind of wanted to work that into to Blaine's story. And um, yeah, to those who, who've read the book, you know, it's such a, a big component of his, of his theme and he, or excuse me, of his campaign. And he really works in a lot of ways to actually um, execute real change in terms of, of mental health awareness and just having students at Wicker West really prioritize their, their well-being. So it was something that I thought was really important for the book. That must have been really interesting to write the majority of this book while like during the pandemic, because I'm assuming Sky Blue is probably sold in what, 2019, 2018, something like that? Yep, 2019. Yeah. Yep. 2019, because that's when Fresh sold was 2019. And you had like a two or three book deal and so for those of you that don't know, sometimes authors will like have a full book complete, but they'll actually sign a deal for more than just one book. And so once Sky Blues was done, you're on deadline, boom, right away for like the next one. And you're writing this next one yeah. during the pandemic. Like was the writing experience different for you with this one versus Sky Blues? Because you wrote Sky Blues before we even, before all this yeah. happened. Right, for sure. I mean, it was it was definitely a, a shorter timeline, definitely because you're on you're on contract and you have to you have to actually write it and turn it in. Do you like the um, deadlines? So that Did that help you? Like, did the pressure help, or was that made it hard? Yeah, I mean, no, I think it does help. I like to have structure. I think, of course, obviously, I could always say I could I could use more time and give me an extra week, give me give me an extra month. But I do think, in general, it's it is good for my productivity productivity and structure to have you know actual dates I need to be done by. Um, but it, it was definitely a very different experience, not only because of the shortened timeline, but for me, you know, I think it's really beneficial to just be out in the world, like experiencing life and then being able to like have my writing time that's separate that that I can feel very rejuvenated and inspired when I feel like I have a good, you know, balance of, of writing time and and normal lifetime and in the pandemic when you're just stuck inside it was like i was inside all of the time so i definitely had my moments of blaine where i was like god i wish i could i mean i could like go for a walk and stuff but i feel like i did hit some like writer block challenges just because it, i felt creatively stifled at times um because of the pandemic but um you know you got to work through them and and keep going and i did and i and it you know and it turned out well so but it was it was or tricky you could not have a deadline because you only sold a one book deal and then get super depressed during the pandemic and not write anything oh no or that that's another. don't be me yeah. don't be me guys be rob be mr robert couch coach mr hey, robert coach here do whatever uh, 
<laughs> um, what other aspects of mental health would you like to see explored more in YA fiction? Like, I've been working in YA since a long time, uh, 2009. Mm-hmm. So seeing mental health go from these like, like maybe one or two books from a publisher a year that are like issue books that like get shelved only in libraries and, you know, win awards and things, but like are really difficult to read and hard to like digest to now when we have like rom-coms that really center mental health. It's like, it's so amazing to see this transformation. Um, It it kind of coincides with also the transformation of like queer fiction in YA spaces. Um, But with mental health, what do you want to see more of? How do you want to see it evolve and adapt in this this publishing yeah. space? Well, yeah, I mean, to your point, it's so cool to see how much it already has evolved and just become much more just ingrained in the, the normalcy of teen life, talking about mental health, mental illness, and kind of to your point, like books that aren't even like about mental health or illness still work in those facets. So I think that's awesome. Um, I feel like there's a lot of room to explore um, the intersection, excuse me, of different identities and how mental health can be impacted in those spaces. So whether you're talking about LGBTQ people or people of color or people who are from other marginalized backgrounds, I feel like there's specific spaces that mental health and mental illness affects marginalized groups that um, are not just, you know, we can't necessarily paint it with broad strokes. And so it'd be really, really cool to see other books that kind of touch on those really niche, more specific intersections of identities and how mental health can, um, yeah, be impacted in that way. Um, so yeah, I feel like that would be, be kind of cool to see more books that kind of explore those, those areas. Mm, yeah. I yeah. like that. Well said. I'm going to take a couple of questions from the audience here. Um, right. David Rodriguez wants to know, going back to your, um, your vote couch, uh, do you still have any of those signs? The vote, um, the lazy boy, Oh, <laughs> the lazy boy signs. I, oh man, I wish I kept those. I, those were probably taken down and trashed in a dumpster in Clio, Michigan at some point in 2006. <laughs> if so anybody that went them. to high school with Robbie, um, <laughs> has photos, we would very much appreciate you unearthing oh, them. And <laughs> yeah, they're out there somewhere probably, but no, I don't have the posters. I, I feel like I still have some old, like high school t-shirts that are so raggedy and gross and have holes in them, but there's like this perfect blend of nostalgia and also and like they're kind of comfy because they're like lived in but I won't give yeah. up and it's like so sad that it's been over a decade now that I still have them but no posters t-shirts no posters <laughs> Dan White wants to know do you have a time that you write morning or evening Ooh, I I feel like I usually um I usually write in the evenings um I feel like I'm more of a night owl brain and sometimes a lot of creativity kind of the juices are kind of flowing in the evening and the night. Um, but I also feel like a lot of times I don't have the luxury of choosing like when I feel inspired and especially like when I'm in deadline or I have uh, yeah, a big deadline coming up. So um, I kind of write all over the place. I feel like I could still get better at having um, structure to my day in terms of writing. I sort of do, but it's, it's sort of like whenever I, whenever I can work it in. I'll I'm gonna it, yeah. I'm gonna have to find this blog <clears throat> this blog post, but there was this blog post like from maybe like 15 years ago, um, from this writer who 
was basically it kind of teaches you how to find what time of day your brain is most creative. Um, and it's sort of like to try writing at different times of the day and then which time of the day you felt the most productive. And that's like your, like when your brain is the most active creatively and you should like schedule all of your writing just for that one period, because you're going to get more done in like that four hour span, you, you know, if, whether it's the morning, afternoon or evening, than you would if you're trying to write throughout the day. And I will say when I was writing fresh, like once I figured out what time of day for, for me, it's like 1 PM until 4 PM. Um, oh, so then I just, I'm exhausted. that's when I'm like, <laughs> I want to take a nap. <laughs> no, see in the morning, that's when I'm my most like analytical, like that's when I can get a lot of like critical thinking stuff done. So I get like all my day job stuff done and then I'll take a break from that. And then in the afternoons, well, this was back when I was <laughs> actually writing. Um, and then I would write in the afternoons and then the evenings, like, you know, dig oh. around on my phone. Um, <laughs> so. yeah. That's interesting. I w yeah, I don't know. I would guess my little, my zone would be like, maybe like six to 9 PM or maybe like seven to 10 PM. That'd be my guess, but it would still yeah. be cool to do that experiment. See, You should try it. You should try it. Like you, you, it starts like get up at four, like try the 4am. Cause like, I know Ooh. a couple of writers who are like the 4am writers and I what? don't relate to them at all. No. I think they're all Virgos <laughs> or Scorpios, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> wow. So yeah, any but I will also writers, say, yeah. I'll also say sort of related to this conversation. There's some some authors and writers that I've heard will be like, you got to write every single day. And I'm I'm not in that camp. <laughs> yeah. Me neither. Me neither. No, I feel like you got to you got to figure out what works for you. And um, if you do like if you are setting goals for yourself where it's like, OK, I want to have this book done in the next six months or whatever. But I do think it can be helpful to still, you know, set your own goals and your own yes. deadlines. But you have to be realistic with like what works for you and what your schedule is. And if it might be, you know, right three times a week or only on Saturdays or whatever it is, and then try to stick to it. But I remember feeling kind of defeated when I would hear that when I was much younger, because it's like, I don't feel like writing every day. And that seems really, really hard, but I still want to be a writer. And then I figured out, oh yeah, you don't have to take anyone's advice. It doesn't work for you. So yeah. Yeah. We all write in our own ways. We all, our brains all work in the same ways. That's like telling students like, there's a right way to study versus a wrong way to study, you know, like right, everybody right. figures it out on their own and, you know, yeah, exactly. Um, okay. We got a couple questions here. Um, did you, hold on. I'm like trying to read these, but make sure, make sure they're all like kosher questions. <laughs> we don't want any uh, 17 questions. <laughs> um, okay. This is a good one. This is from Andrew. Blaine and Sky both have amazingly supportive friends. Did you draw on any personal experiences or differences from your friend circle in high school? Oh, I love that question, Andrew. Yeah, question. I totally think so. I think maybe more so in just a subconscious way. I, I wasn't explicitly like, all right, so I'm going to take my friend group and make this person Bree and this person Marshall and the Sky Blues. Um, it wasn't that direct, but I... I, I especially being closeted in high school I wasn't like looking to get a boyfriend or a girlfriend so I feel like especially I mean friends are always important but especially in high school friendships were so so critical for me to have and I did have a really good group of friends that were super supportive and there for me and I'm still friends with a handful of them and I, we have like a, a group chat where we are always sending slightly inappropriate memes to one another but um yeah, I, the meme chat. <laughs> the meme chats are the best. 
Um, so yeah, I definitely feel like I, I, I drew from my own experiences and um, yeah. And there was a few of them were like, am I this character or am I that character? And I'm like, oh, oh, not, not I that, love those questions. My answer is always yes, regardless. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm like, did you see yourself that. in it? Yes. Then it is you. <laughs> then yes, absolutely. <laughs> did you hate that character? Well then yes, it was you and you should evaluate that. Why? <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's unpack that for a second. <laughs> um, Rachel asks, do you have any writing or publishing tips? What does your day-to-day -day look like as an author? Do you have a day job? Yeah. I do. I have a day job still. So back to, to the one question, when do I, when do I write? A lot of times it's like in the evenings because I have to write in the evenings. Yeah. Um, but in terms of publishing tips in general, man, I have, I have a lot of, a lot of tips, but. Um, Give me your most like active tip, like something that somebody can do with this information today. Yeah. Well, I am always such a, if, if you're someone who's interested in writing your own book or you're writing your own book and you're not um, actively outlining it, which I'm sure, you know, a lot of writers do, but I'm a very, and to kind of go back to the last question, do whatever works for you. Of course, I don't want to like rain on anyone's parade, but <laughs> I feel like it benefited me so, so, so much to, to outline beforehand um, when I would start stories uh and so i started writing books like in my early 20s and even before that but i got like two pages in and then i would not get inspired not be inspired anymore and then give up but when i started taking more seriously when i was a little bit older um i realized the benefit to outlining just because it really gave the story that framework where then i wouldn't i wouldn't get so far into it and then you know discover a major pothole that can't be fixed or something like that so um and i also feel like it makes the writing process much more efficient and quicker when I have that templated out. So I'm a really big proponent of getting really granular and like really trying to see the story completely through before I get started. Um, again, the big caveat is whatever works for you. So I don't want to, if there's anyone out there who's not on board with that, that's okay. But I feel like if, if you're struggling to be productive and like get shit done in an efficient way, maybe just try to like hunker down and really outline and, and stick, stick to the outline. Um, but yeah, but I have a lot of tips, so a lot more where that came from. Do you have an outlining method that you follow, like Snowflake or any of the other ones? Um, not, not particularly. I mean, I feel like I'll usually, how do I usually outline? I feel like, well, I was just doing this with the, with the book right now where I will, I usually like just dump all of the book ideas in a document and then try to group them in terms of timing. Um, and then from there kind of iron out where where they are and then try to try to envision each scene by scene and then think of like what makes sense to be um grouped into chapters so i kind of work from a lot of messiness and then just try to organize the mess as best as i go i don't know if that's maybe a, a it's helpful theory, i think but... it, i think a lot of people are um you know, a lot of my friends who aren't writers, like, they're always like, how do you, how do you do, how, how do book? Like, how do you, yeah. where <laughs> yeah. do you start? Because like, if you think of it as like a whole object, it's overwhelming, you know, totally. and like the story is so over, like, how are you going to write 300 pages, 75,000 words? Like that's so daunting. And I think sure. the way you do it makes, it makes, it's like very practical and it's just break it down by scenes and then from those scenes you build out chapters and then sort of figure out where it goes where and 
you know, start, start small, like just that first step in front of you. Don't look at where you are going to end up. Just look at the very first step in front of you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And to the point I was making earlier about just like setting, um, ambitious, but still like feasible and realistic goals, like that works for you. If you're someone who is really busy with day jobs and you have kids or whatever, and you're like, okay, Saturdays are the only day I have to do this. Then that's okay. Just stick to Saturdays and then try to figure out what, what timeline works best to, you know, I can get this book done by this month or this date if I work every Saturday. So just kind of working, working to your point, Margo, just kind of in smaller chunks and like taking it day by day in that way, I think can be really helpful because it is so daunting. I mean, I'm writing my fourth book now and I still am like, oh my gosh, it's time <laughs> writing a book. They, it, it is a lot, but if you break it up, you can do it. <laughs> I can't believe you've written four books. <laughs> I'm slow. <laughs> Well, I stalled out after one. one. <laughs> starting the fourth one. I can't take full credit for four yet, but almost there. Almost there. You're almost there. Um, okay, so we got if you guys have any questions, Mr. Reiner, you've got the ask a question button, or you can pop it into the regular chat. Um, but I want to talk about adaptations a little bit. So mm -hmm. as a fellow writer of um loose adaptations, yes, and loose adaptations are very different from like a retelling, whereas a retelling is more of like gonna take this and flip it on its head but it's gonna follow the structure and the majority of the themes and everything else um pretty mm -hmm. closely did you go into blaine's story knowing you wanted to adapt legally blonde like was that always there from the beginning or was that an element you added later in the writing process like i fresh is a retelling of emma but i didn't yeah. know i was gonna incorporate the emma aspect until like later and then i worked oh, really? it in yeah oh, yeah <laughs> i so got stuck you, in plotting and i was like, like i didn't know oh, what to sorry. do yeah no yeah, i yeah. just got stuck in the plot and i was like i don't know what to do i've got all these characters and i have all these collections of random scenes but i don't know what to do with it and then oh. i started rereading old favorites to get inspiration and i reread emma and i was like yeah Wait. like i already have like all the characters lined up perfectly like the the themes lined up like everything already lined up so it was like in my head i had been doing it the whole time but i just didn't it didn't occur to me yeah. until i read it and that's then why, worked it in later <laughs> yeah that's why it's surprising here because i feel like it's so it is it feels so very in line with it that it's like oh you didn't even know when you're writing it it was um, so seamless working that in it was i got very lucky i do not yeah. recommend doing it that way <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think for me it was it was sort of a mix in that i knew i wanted to write a rom-com um that was before I like Legally Blonde was really like on my radar in terms of exactly like knowing that I that's exactly what I wanted to do. And then I kind of was um, kind of similar, similarly to you, I was watching old rom-coms and reading old rom-com stuff that I enjoyed. Um, and it was during that process that I remembered how much I loved Legally Blonde and a lot of um, I really love like putting a queer modern twist on like classics or kind of reimagining our favorite stories in like new ways. And so I decided to do that with Legally Blonde. But to your point, that's obviously, you know, it's different than a, a direct retelling. There was, I think, you know, I, I remember chatting with my editor for a little while in terms of like how closely to mirror Legally Blonde and exactly how much we wanted it to feel like an exact retelling or kind of an inspired by thing. Um, and we decided to go um obviously in the more inspired by route um i think with legally blot or excuse me with blame for the win if you read the first few chapters it feels much more like overtly legally yes. blonde 
Yes, that's yeah. what I did with Fresh. Like the first paragraph is like word for word a, a rip <laughs> from Emma. <laughs> yeah, I was so excited that a lot of readers very quickly picked up on the fact that the, the very first sentence of Blaine for the Win, Blaine is talking about it being a perfect Friday. And um, in Legally Blonde, it's the official, theme song a more perfect is, Friday will never exist. Exactly. That's such a yeah. good line. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then in the film, Legally Blonde, um, it's a perfect day. Ooh, oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah, God. that was like the, that was the intro song. And so um but like I was sort of thinking that was a pretty subtle thing and then like everyone's like of course like that's what you're doing and I'm like oh yeah you got it. Um but where was I even going with that? Oh yeah. So the first few chapters are much more in sync with with the story, but then there are really big departures from um from legally blonde. And so, yeah, I, I hope that no one thinks that they know the story just because just because they watched the film because it is well, very different. But yeah. My question, my follow up question is: so with a loose adaptation, you get to sort of cherry pick which moments, characters, and themes that you want to incorporate. So, what parts of *Legally Blonde* did you knowingly leave out and decide not to include, and why? You Ooh. don't have to do a spoiler one, but like you can just pick like one or two or or none, <laughs> but yeah, something yeah. that you were like, I, I know this is part of it and I'm not including it. Definitely um, the pretty, well, maybe not explicit, but pretty close to explicit homophobia. <laughs> There's like two gay guys in the end and, and there is a lesbian. And I feel like all three of those characters were kind of a little bit punching bags. Um, and it was the early was, 2000s. Exactly, yeah. We, we, were, we were lucky to be on the screen <laughs> back then. <laughs> That's true. I was grateful to be on screen. But um, yeah, and then the like one gay character, him being outed was essentially like the, a major plot twist. I mean, it was just sort of like, okay. Um, so I didn't want that, of course. But I feel like, um, yeah, that's such a good question. I uh, So I, I didn't want that. I also feel like there was a few aspects of the, I guess you can consider it a, a love triangle between Vivian, L and Warner that I kind of wanted to approach differently in the way that Blaine, Zach, and Joey are. Um, it's similar in some senses, but anyone who's finished the book probably knows that there's a few, um, few differences that I wanted to have in terms of like how they relate to each other, how that dynamic sort of unfolds. So that was something I kind of wanted to um, get away from. And I just think overall the, the character arcs are different in terms of like what they're learning about themselves and the world around them. Um, Blaine is very, um, he's a cis white guy who is of course benefits from a lot of privilege and throughout the story, and this is sort of similar to Sky Blues, he sort of learns about um, that privilege in, in some subtle ways throughout the story. I don't think Elle, Elle Woods has that same necessarily like same, trajectory in terms of um, like she got into Harvard because they were looking for a diversity hire. I'm like, I don't know if Elle Woods is technically like would check off the diversity box. Maybe. I mean, we, we need more women lawyers for sure. But um, but yeah, so there's definitely definitely some things I wanted to change up between between the film and Blaine. How are you feeling about the upcoming sequel to Legally Blonde? Oh, I know. I well, when is it going to come out? I feel like it was supposed to come out in May, and then I think it got pushed back again. Um, yeah, it keeps getting pushed back. But I just saw like an article with like Mindy Kaling, who is like 
stressing out about it because she didn't want it to be come across as like the sex in the city sequel where they're just like so (laughs) out of touch and it's like uncomfortable um so i'm wondering what are your thoughts on it oh i don't you know it's something that like i'm not someone who's usually i feel like certain people are like very pro sequel and get excited and then other people are like very adamantly like don't spoil a great thing especially if people really love the original and i'm I'm kind of in that gray zone of like, if it's done well and it stays true to like the uh, the vibes and the, um, yeah, the, the personality of the original, then like go for it. But it's it's sort of hard to, you know, be sure if, if that's gonna happen and, and I'm no clairvoyant. So I'm not sure. I, I feel like Legally Blonde 2 was, um, I didn't like it as much as the original. Um, yeah, Craig Hill just said Legally Blonde 2 wasn't great. I didn't know that there was a Legally Blonde 2. What? Was it direct to video? But, uh, no, no, no. I think, I think it, I think it's a Was Reese Witherspoon in it? Was, (laughs) was Bendon Snap in it? Like, uh, oh, I don't, I, someone can chime in if they, if they can fact check me if it, if Sally Field was in it. Oh my God. What is happening? Yeah. So yeah, so this one's the, this is. Three. This is Legally Blonde Three. I'm which very concerned that this flew over my head. <laughs> it's okay. Are you kidding me? My like pandemic I'm like, brain. Where I'm like, was what I? Year is it? What year? What year did this come out? Where? What was I doing? <laughs> yeah. I, I what happens in it? I would guess the sequel was 2004, but I could be like a decade off. I. I 2003. Okay. Uh, I was. Okay. I was. I was in high school. All right. <laughs> Wait, Legally Blonde Two. Oh, oh, oh this is the one where she clicking. goes to Congress. It's yes. red, white, and blue. Yes. Or red, white, and blonde. Okay, I did see it. <laughs> and I remember I just like mentally erased it because it was so bad. <laughs> yeah, wasn't the best. So maybe three will be a redemption. Okay, okay. I, All I'm right. not sure. I love yeah. Mindy Kaling and I know she's involved. And so that's really, that's really great. <laughs> but we'll, we'll see. Okay, of of all the Legally Blonde adaptations, of which I can only think of two, which are the musical and the Ariana Grande, was it Seven Rings oh, or yeah. um, the one where she sang about Pete Davidson? That yeah, one, yeah, yeah. that musical. Yeah. Which one is your favorite? <laughs> well, I actually haven't seen the musical, so I can't I can't speak to that. Well, I know, no, you have I, to. I know I have to. I I know I'm a I'm a bad author for not doing that. But someone it was funny because someone was. Um, like live tweeting with me when I was watching I did like a Legally Blonde uh, rewatch and live tweet on Monday night and someone else was watching the musical because they couldn't find the film and (laughs) a lot of it they were like keeping me updated on like what's the same and what's different so that was kind of cool I do need to watch the musical so I'll get on it um but I but I loved Ariana's um uh music video though that that, music video was so good so good and what is the name of that song I'm was totally it was it seven it. rings or was it the um it wasn't seven rings um, thank you next thank, thank you david you Rodriguez. thank you, thank you david. <laughs> i feel like i'm losing gay points as i every time i open my mouth this was so long ago there's been so many new ari songs since true. so it's hard to keep up <laughs> yeah that's true although that's for true. me that yeah. was peak ari that was peak ari but. that was yeah that was a good one post peak ari was it. my favorite she was messy and i liked it <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i love it um okay uh just a reminder to everybody to buy robbie's book but also ask <laughs> questions if you have them yes. i love that reminder. Do, try to earn that coin for robbie um yes. purchase it and then 
go review it and give it five stars, even if you hated it. Um, <laughs> good point. Good point. That is a good, that is a very good shout out. If you have finished it, um, please review it on Amazon, on Goodreads, on any, and on yes. Barnes and Noble website, anywhere you want. Barnes and Noble, Amazon, and your local library. Also, you can, oh, if you also want to support Robbie um, without purchasing the book, you can request it from your local library. It is free yes. to you. Um, and it. it also helps <laughs> my, my God, is inching closer. Um, and it <laughs> helps you and it, you know, you still get paid with the libraries. Um, and you can also review books on Amazon, even if you haven't purchased them. So you can do that as well. Um, yeah, you're like book brain, Margo. I'm so it's like, I work in publishing you, or something. I know, it's almost like, you know what you're talking about. <laughs> so it's like it. Um, how did you, okay. This is one of my favorite questions because okay. I have a feeling your journey is not as straight <laughs> um, <laughs> as some authors to their author life. Like, how did you yeah. get from birth to becoming, no, just kidding. Um, how did you become a writer? Like, at what point did you think maybe this was something you wanted to do versus the point where you were like, okay, I'm actually going to try this. How did yeah. you get from those two points? Yeah. So I was born in Flint, Michigan in 1980. No, I'm just kidding. Go way back. Um, I The first time I know, I knew that I really loved writing was in fourth grade. Um, and I've told this story before, so sorry if anyone's like- No, tell me. I don't know the but, story. Okay, okay. I was in fourth grade and we had an assignment to write a book. And I remembered it was called When, when the Seaweed Was Smiling. <laughs> That is and, a terrible title. No, I'm just kidding. I love that. <laughs> I mean, it's not the greatest, but it's it works. so good. It's so good. I can imagine Thank it. You. Like, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that was the cover of the smiling suit. And, um, but it was the seaweed was not nice. The, the seaweed was the antagonist because I I starred in it. I was the main character, and um, it was about visiting my aunt Charlene's lake outside of Detroit, and the seaweed came up and grabbed me and pulled me under and killed me and drowned me. But then at the end, I realized it was all a dream. But um, it, was, it was obviously a, a little short book. A horror. You wrote yeah. a horror. <laughs> I know. It was, it was pretty scary. I still hate seaweed, by the way. But, um, but I just remember loving it so much. I had such a great time. Like, I have actual memories of, like, writing it and, and illustrating it and just having a great time coming up with the story. And then I did... I got an A on it. I remember Mr. Volk, my teacher, was impressed and thought I did really, really a, a good job. And I feel like that was really the moment that I was like, oh, this is kind of fun to come up with stories. And um, yeah, that was in fourth grade. And then from there on, I did a lot of, of writing and storytelling. Hold on, and... quick question, quick question. Yeah, Pause. yeah. Andrew asks, do you hate seaweed more than birds? <laughs> Definitely not. No, it goes <laughs> birds, clearly number one, seaweed, like, Hey, here. I mean, I still don't like seaweed, but no, birds clearly, clearly most hated on that. All birds? Nope. There's an exception for penguins. Penguins are cute. Okay. They're acceptable. And some owls, I feel like sometimes owls can be really adorable and like not super so threatening. It's cute. But as long as they are cute, they're acceptable. Cute and at a distance. Yeah. Okay. That's All right. yeah. If the, okay. any anyone else, I I'm won't read good. Craig's comment. We can skip that one. Oh gosh. Okay. I don't. <laughs> he see said the owls can be vicious. 
<laughs> I know. I'm sh- and that's why I said some owls because there's some okay. pictures of baby or like I've seen like viral like videos of baby owls. owls. Yeah. Well, yeah, but though like when they're when they're adults but small, those are cool. But like I've seen, I don't know if anyone else has seen like baby owls. They can be terrifying because they don't really have feathers and they just have these big eyes and they're like it's totally nightmare fuel. So, <laughs> but anyways. I don't even know what the heck I was talking about. So oh, we were in fourth grade. And fourth now... grade, yeah. <laughs> Back to fourth grade. So I'll skip ahead a few years. Um, I went into journalism because I- Is that what you studied thought... in school? Yeah, I studied journalism in, in college and I liked it. I got a lot out of it. Um, and I had a few media jobs once I got out of college, but I realized it wasn't really like the exact sorts of stories I wanted to tell. It was like, you know, obviously storytelling within the framework of journalism, which is great and very important in a democratic society, but not for me. Um, so, so yeah, later in my twenties, I kind of refocused on, on fiction and that's when the sky blues, the concepts of the sky blues started to, you know, make its way into my brain in 2015 or early 2016. And, um, yeah, the rest is history. It just, it felt like very much more in, in step with what the types of stories I wanted to tell. And I knew I wanted to, you know, center LGBTQ stories. So, so here we are. That's really awesome. Where'd you go to college? Michigan State. Spartans. Spartans. <laughs> Did you know I just that? learned that earlier. Oh, just check it. <laughs> I'm from Ohio, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm supposed to hate you, but I, I don't. I'm supposed to hate that... you too, but I don't. Yeah, I know. I'm from. Yeah, I, I didn't know, go to a big but... state school. I didn't go to school in Ohio, so. <laughs> okay, okay. And I, you're back on my good, good side. <laughs> um, we have a question from Andrew. Your first two books are set in the Midwest. Any plans to set a book in LA? Ooh, um, that's a really good question. Um, so far, no, never say never. <laughs> I sort of, I so without giving away too much, Lake Michigan itself is um, in both of my books so far, and it's also um, a part of book three. And Yay. so I'm kind of thinking, like, maybe I'll have Lake Michigan kind of anchor. So, like, yes. obviously the exact the, the exact Robbie community. Couch universe, <laughs> right? It circles Lake Michigan. Um, the so RCU, maybe... the RCU. That's what we're <laughs> exactly, call it. I love yeah. it. Um, so I was sort of thinking like maybe kind of keep up with that and have every story have like Michigan somehow be a part of it, but I'm not, I don't want to like put that out and like say I'm definitely doing it, but I might do that. I like that. I like that because you know what, like New York, LA, the coast, they always get their stories. Like even the South, like they get a lot of stuff set there. Nothing is ever set in the Midwest, the good old Midwest. We never get Michigan or Ohio stories. So I'm here for it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. I know it was so cool to see readers. I feel like especially with with Sky because Blaine is in Chicago, so that's a little bit more you know metropolitan. But especially with yeah, Sky, that's our that's our New York. Yeah, yeah, our Midwest, right, New York. <laughs> but especially with Sky, a lot of people were really excited about having it be in Michigan. A lot of readers in Michigan were like, "Oh my gosh, it's like Discover yes. City." So that was really cool to have. I that think local all country. of my books, even if they're fantasies, will still be set like or the characters from like Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah. I love that, a fantasy though. in Cincinnati. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like Cincinnati needs a good fantasy. Oh Sorry, yeah. That wasn't shade on Cincinnati. I didn't mean like that. Oh, I'll shade, <laughs> I'll shade Cincinnati all day long. <laughs> um, I think we're, we got five minutes left. 
Yeah. Right, cool. So I do have one final question that we can close out on, but I'll, if you have one more, Margo, we can mm-hmm. do that. And then I've got a, a fun one I was going to have us end on. Um, yeah, there was one that somebody submitted that I would, thought was fun. Um, <laughs> uh, Rachel asked, would you two ever collaborate on a book together? That was Ooh. the one I was going to end on. So yes! Uh, I was saving that one. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, I mean... I know. The second I saw that question, I was like, oh, I'm having ideas. <laughs> I mean, we got to write some Midwest thing. I, yeah, exactly. There's some clearly some like Michigan, Ohio yes. situation happening. Yeah. yeah. Ohio State versus something. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> they need a it, like, college a that rivalry. There we go. Mm-hmm. Oh, I kind of like this, Margo. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll chat about it after the event. But yeah, I've never, I've never, I never have. Um, actually thought about doing it. And I've gotten that question before and I feel like it, it would be challenging in some ways, but also a ton of fun. So yeah, yeah. maybe. maybe that someday. would be so awesome. What, where can people find you? What do you have? What's your next events? What, how can we support you? Yeah, buy my books, buy my books. Buy my books from Skylight, Skylight Books. They're the, they're the best. And I went <laughs> in there and signed them. Um, I mean, book plates are great. Don't get me wrong, but it was very cool that I got to sign the actual. Oh, you actually got went yeah. in, so it's like yeah. okay, all right, that yeah. is amazing. That means yeah. the, those books are more high value than any of the other ones that just get a book oh. plate. Just saying. <laughs> I so, didn't know that. That's your book brain order. again. Yes, yeah. go order your copies from Skylight. Yes. Um, so yeah, so buy my books from Skylight, um, and then and you can find me on social, on Twitter, on Instagram at Rabbi Couch. Um, Twitter, there's an underscore between my first and last name, which is annoying because someone else already had Robbie Couch. But they can just search um, your name, they'll find you. <laughs> yeah. And if anyone is on the West Coast or in California and uh, what you were saying earlier, Margo, come come out to uh, Yale West. Yale I'll West. be at Yale West in Santa Monica, um, which is at the end of this month. So, yeah. I'm so jealous. I wish I was going. Oh, I wish you were too. <laughs> I know you're gonna All have right. such a you're gonna have such a blast. It's such a good time. Seriously, if you guys are uh-huh. West Coast, go. It's such a it's such a good time. So and it's all outdoors, so it's good. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Well, thank, thank you, you both so much. so much for being here again for all our viewers and um, anyone who couldn't make it. Um, this event will be available for replay in just a few minutes once we're done. So if you loved it so much, you want to rewatch it a second time, or you know anyone who missed it and you'd love to send it to them, you can find the replay at uh, the same link that you registered at. And like Margot and uh, Robbie both said, you can buy your copies from Skylight Books by clicking the shiny green button at the bottom of your screen to grab a signed copy. And Yay. thank you all so much for joining us. Have a great rest of your night. And happy birthday, Margo. Oh, thank you. Happy birthday to Margo. Thank Yay. you. Congratulations, Robbie. I'm so excited for thank you. you. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.